Hey! You're listening to Talk of Shame, a Wamina production supported by our sponsor, BetterHelp. I'm your host, Alia Moro. I'm an Egyptian-born, London-raised freelance journalist and author of the best-selling non-fiction book, The Greater Freedom. Having felt the impacts of shame, or Arab, as Arabs like to call it, on many aspects of my life, I've become pretty obsessed with the concept and the question of how we can rid ourselves from it. Throughout the season, I dig deeper into shame with the help of some brilliant guests. Shame breeds shame, so we gotta talk about it. To answer your question, oh my gosh, yes, representation matters so much when it comes to shame and the ayyib. I think one of the reasons shame still exists in the way it does around so many things, particularly related to like women's issues, is because we don't have enough space in the media. We're not as equally represented. That's true globally, I think, but particularly for Arab women and particularly for like third culture kids. I remember when Rami came out on TV and I really, really related to it. And it was the first time that I saw an Egyptian Muslim guy my age-ish. I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one. You feel like you're accepted and needed by society and that you're seen and known and that you deserve to be fully yourself. It made me feel so much less shame. You don't see any like role models. You don't see yourself represented in any form of media. And so it becomes difficult to imagine a life for yourself and what your future can be like. Representation can really normalize behaviors, activities, beliefs that societies as a whole have stigmatized for so long. Representation is only one part of the solution. The other is encouragement, support, and positive reinforcement. One thing I always say is that it's easier to be yourself if you can see yourself. Shame is so often tied in with society's ideals, and the media, as we all know, plays a big role in dictating what those ideals are. For this week's episode, I spoke with Sara Abdelrahman, an Egyptian actress who's best known for her role as Hiba in Seba Agar. She's also very vocal about numerous issues and speaks often about the importance of storytelling. Art exists so that we connect and we react to it and we we feel something and we reflect on our lives and without having something that is in any way close to how I feel, it's going to make me feel like I don't really exist. We spoke about the importance of seeing yourself represented, the role of the media in dictating and changing society's ideals and more. As always, Sara kicks off by telling us what she thinks about when she hears the word shame. Shame breeds shame. Let's talk about it. Oh my God. I'm thinking about my whole life. <laughs> Just, um, shame is such an essential, unnecessary, but it's been such, it's so saturated 
into my life and into our society and into my past and my present that I wonder what life can be like without it. Yeah, honestly, I I have no idea what life would be like without it. I feel like it impacts so many different aspects of my life. You know, we've been talking about this so much on on this podcast of how shame is so tied, especially for women, I think, with societal ideals of how we should be and what's normal and anything that doesn't fit into that automatically is made to seem shameful. The media tells you that you should be married, that you should, you know, it kind of gives you this timeline of what your life is supposed to be like. And I wonder what kind of impact do you think these sort of normalized messages that we get from the media, what kind of impact do you think that has on what we think is normal and how much shame we then feel when we don't fit in with that? When you were speaking, like a lot came up, mainly (sighs) the fact that shame is so present is because there is so much that is not allowed, but not enough of what we can do. So like there's so much of like, don't do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 until a hundred. And then there's no alternative. And I think that this sort of also relates to your question. I don't think I ever grew up having any sort of relatable content, media, anything that made me feel that I'm valid somehow, or my needs are valid, or even a, a way to be or something to look forward to or something to want or or an example maybe of, of any sort that can give me a way out of shame because I didn't really have a choice except to just, you know, gang up with everyone against myself and to shame myself. Yeah. I just, I think that the media is a very, plays a huge part into that for sure. I guess because, you know, we've, we've been having this conversation so much in the media recently, but how so much is made by men. So how, you know, how much like TV, film, so much of the media is controlled by men. So it's sort of their messaging. It's their sort of ideas of what we even are as women. And they don't know. They're not in our bodies. I saw you gave a really great speech, I think, recently about this, because obviously you you work in media in Egypt mainly. So it would be really great to hear a little bit about the sort of figures there and, and how that all works there and how that plays out. So my recent findings, <laughs> my findings have shown. <laughs> I did this presentation at the Cairo Film Festival and it was a great opportunity for me to actually understand why I felt all of that and why there are no examples or, or anything that is relatable. And I realized that uh, my main finding basically was that cinema, anything that is in um, the like films that people pay money to go see are all dominated by men, men's stories. Like there's a lot of gender-based violence. It's just very macho, chauvinism, misogyny, like everything, you name it. Toxic masculinity. Yes, that, thank you. (laughs) Forgot about that one. (laughs) one. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, the past 10 years, TV has really been developing in terms of a lot of women's stories are out there. A lot of different, real, relatable stories are out there. And I realized that it's because it's so related to where women are in Egypt 
they're not really empowered to be in the public sphere. And just because cinema and like cinema theaters exist in the public sphere, they don't have the access to it. They don't have access to like economic agency so that they have the purchasing power. Um, And at the same time, the highest ratings go to a lot of the women led stories. And that's because it's in the TV, it's at home. So, it's really capitalism here that we're <laughs> we have a problem with, but also sexism because the patriarchy is giving all that empowerment to men to decide. You know, if I'm someone who's in power and I'm going to be like, uh, why is that story relevant? Yeah. There's absolutely no awareness that what you're dismissing is a story that can actually uh, be relatable to a lot of your audience. So even from a capitalist point of view, it's very smart. And this is basically what all the big, um, I don't know, PNG, uh, Johnson and Johnson, big like companies that realize that the women go more to, to shop and for groceries. So they, there's a lot of money to be made out of us. That's for sure. Exactly. So, so why not just invest in that <laughs> or yeah. women power? And how how do you find that the TV depictions that are so much more led by women, how do they differ from what's on film or what's in the cinema? Uh, I think that it's everything is different. The, also, definitely, I mean, there's the the obvious 30 episodes, something is definitely gives more layer to a story than, mm-hmm. you know, a 60 minute or 120 minute piece of content or a film. So. there's already that that's this big huge difference between them but also the type of stories we've seen a lot of the drama that happens between the privileged uh a class uh i don't know niche sector that you know there's a lot of that and a lot of murders but also there's a lot of there are a lot of stories about real women and I think that there's only like a handful of films that have been done in that way. And they're very, they're, they're praised definitely now and before, but they're not, um, but they're definitely more frequent in TV. I'm a huge believer in like the saying, it's easier to be yourself if you can see yourself. Like, I just think mm-hmm. that representation is so important. It makes such a huge difference. Like, it really makes us feel a lot more like we're normal, like the things that we're going through or who we are or, you know, any number of things is not unique just to us and that other people go through those same things. And I think that just has such a huge, huge, huge impact on how we are in the world and and, and that we know that there's a place in the world for us. How much do you think what we see has an impact on us and our ideas of shame then. I don't know if this is too complex. Okay. But I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Break it down. I think that a lot of the Americanization that my society has gone through is because there's no, there isn't enough representation in uh, Egyptian media. So having something like teenage drama or something like that, that is a category that almost did not exist in Egypt and is only starting to exist now. So seeing that, like, you know, I'm connecting more with Mean Girls. It's definitely 
affecting the way that I think about my identity. It's affecting the way that I think about how I want to lead a family or, or be. And, and also a, a lot of it is frustration towards why am I not living the life that I'm seeing in the movies? So mm. it, it creates this weird complex of, I want to be, I want to relate to these people. And there's something that's very real about them that I feel and connect to, but also I feel so separated from that world. And it definitely feeds into the identity crisis that I feel affects a lot of people, including myself. Wow. I'm so happy you brought that up. That is such an important point. I think it's so, um, I even feel that and I grew up in London and I didn't I I always talk about how I don't really have any references like there was nothing that I could look to like I think Rami now I'm like okay I kind of I kind of get that that's probably the closest that's ever 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 come to my like nuance of life I think the fir- the very first thing that I related to was uh, the graphic novel Persepolis by Marjan Satrapi. And I really just, I was like, oh, this is exactly it. This is it. And I read it. And I remember I, the first time I read it, we were in Ramadan and we were, you know, it was time for iftar. And I was in the bathroom holding on to the book, just trying to finish it because I can't not read it. And um, it really, really, really was the first time that I felt that feeling of connectedness towards a piece of art. And I think that this is another complex idea, maybe, but this is why art exists. Art exists so that we connect and we react to it and we, we feel something and we, you know, we reflect on our lives and without having something that is in any way close to how I feel, it's going to make me feel like... I don't really exist. No, it's really that deep, isn't it? Like you literally feel like you don't even exist. Like you literally feel like all the things that you think and feel are so alien and that they don't belong to this world. I think especially when you're young. And I think that's why there's such a huge market for all of these sort of coming of age stories, because those are the most complex years of your life. Like you really have no fucking clue what's going on. And to see depictions of other people not having a fucking clue what's going on, I think is really helpful. Like, I think that's really interesting what you said, that there aren't many of these sort of stories in Arabic cinema. Why do you think that is? And do you think that it's linked in any way to this idea that they're like, we're not really supposed to show our dirty laundry in Arab culture, like where there's a lot of things that we're supposed to kind of keep private. And a lot of those things are arguably the sort of things that when you're coming of age, you're going through in terms of figuring out your sexuality, you know, all of this stuff that you're definitely not going to be showing. Do you think that's linked? Is that maybe why we don't see these stories? I think it does have a huge impact. I think there's a number of reasons. One of them is people are always scared. Um, I think also just kind of being in, in the socioeconomic circumstances of the country makes people just want to think about survival and not really making art or or experimenting with art. So it's a definite minority that tries to create art for art and not create art to, you know, have everyone like it and pay for it. And so when there's something that is guaranteed, everyone just tries to redo it. And there's a problem with that because people are eventually going to be so tired of it. And then someone, one of the artists will create something different and then everyone will copy them. But I think definitely that's like the base of it. 
another thing is definitely that what you're saying is so true and affecting a lot of layers because me, for example, as a writer, if I'm being fed since I was really young that I'm not supposed to talk about anything that is the dirty laundry or talk about anything I'm trained and conditioned to have a shame association to that. So, of course, this is in the collective psyche of all Egyptian writers. So they're definitely going to have to do a lot of therapy, I guess, um, yeah. or a lot of like breaking their inner conflict in order to actually go ahead and say something that is truthful while being in that headspace of fear towards judgment towards alienation from the bigger society that is, you know, the values and the, the, you know, this is our identity. And it's, it's crazy because everybody does everything behind closed doors. And this is, I think the main issue. <laughs> yeah, I agree. There's a lot of sneaking around. <laughs> There's a lot of double lives happening, which I guess means that we only see one of those lives represented a lot of the time. And I feel like maybe what happens is even if we do see the other side, the stuff that happens behind closed doors, it's like really dramatized. There's no nuance to like a good person doing a bad thing. It's so powerful in Egypt, the traditions and the unrealistic expectations I don't even think the older generations are able to live up to these expectations, but there are all these things that are, it's like this big machine mm -hmm. that is protecting something. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's protecting quote unquote society. It's protecting the system that is feeding us, helping us. It is us. It is our identity. And it has that big say that if today I produce something that is very truthful, everyone can relate to. And it's not put into the light of like, no, you are not supposed to be doing this or that. Or like, there's going to be a dramatic, if someone, if like, you know, a, a character does something that is against these rules and it's not highly dramatized or demonized, then it's going to be shamed. And actually this happened with me. <laughs> so Okay, do tell. So in 2017, I played a character named Hiba in... Um, series called Sebagor, Seventh Neighbor. And it's, it's a 60 episode family drama of people in a building and their different lives. And it's sort of a very slow paced, nothing is really happening, but a lot of things are happening in a very subtle way. And I, you know, I was really, um, alhamdulillah, and it was, uh, I'm so grateful to have played this character, but it was a highly, highly relatable character. So a lot of People were like, oh, Hiba is me. It represents me so much. And a lot of the mothers were like, this is exactly my daughter. And everyone was like, there's so much praise for that show. And then my character decides to, she gets to know this guy and she goes with him in a car and they... Yes, you go, Hiba. <laughs> yeah, she's like... <laughs> and she's just trying. She's someone who's trying new things. So people went crazy and they're like, you are putting poison in honey. It was a big controversy at that time because people were did not feel comfortable with things being portrayed in a way that is, seems realistic. And it started this debate about like, wait, does this happen? Do our daughters do this? 
in in so many ways, I think that this is great because this is what art is supposed to do. It's supposed to crack open these things that we don't talk about and it starts conversations. But it was definitely one of those trials where you see how a society that is so afraid reacts to something that mirrors what they do. Yeah, well, there's almost like an anger that they're being showed that. Let's pause the conversation here for some words from our sponsor, BetterHelp. The effects of shame culture can run deep and are often ignored. It can affect our mental health and self-image, and as we take care of our mental health and well-being, it's important to process our experiences and traumas. BetterHelp makes this easy and accessible by assessing your unique needs and matching you to one of their licensed professional therapists in less than 48 hours. You can message your counselor anytime and get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions from the comfort and safety of your own home and skip the uncomfortable waiting rooms of traditional therapy. As a Talk of Shame listener, you get 10% of your first month with BetterHelp.com. That's better, H-E-L-P. Use promo code TALKOFSHAME and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Back to the conversation. So I wrote a book called The Greater Freedom that came out a couple of years ago. And it's very personal. You know, it's very talking about all the sort of things that we're not meant to be talking about and sex and all the rest of it. Now, I remember I came to Egypt and one of my aunts, you know, like my mom's friends or whatever, she was like, oh, you know, I really enjoyed your book. But why did you have to show, you know, the ugly stuff? Like, why couldn't you have just shown the, the pyramids? And I was like, well, because that's not truthful. That's not honest. Um, But I think there is, you know, and maybe even more when it's for an audience that is not just in Egypt or like not the ones who already know, because it's sort of like, well, you shouldn't be showing these things about us. You should just show the good stuff. And yeah, I think there's a real sort of fear of grappling with stuff. And I think shame very often serves the purpose of making people afraid to talk about this stuff you know the 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 shame is used as a way to keep this stuff down yeah I I mean I'm definitely a part of me is like oh am I supposed to be speaking about this and it's something that I've learned to sort of manage and deal with that it's always going to be there whenever I'm saying anything that feels true it will always be associated with shame and I think that it's really up to our generation to break that association In a lot of ways, there's a lot of progress, definitely in the past 10 years. And while like, for example, that that show that I was telling you about, it definitely broke something. And now things are definitely more direct and, and truthful. And then other shows came up that also broke more walls. So there's definitely that. And also, I can't disconnect them because they're so directly linked. But the women in the industry and women in the streets are so connected and they correlate to each other. They're directly relating to each other. And How so, do you see that? Well, I, I, there, last summer there was um, a new wave of feminism, sort of a quote-unquote Me Too movement in Egypt where there was this, uh, this serial harasser uh, named ABZ, uh, Ahmed Basim Zaki, and it kind of like led to this big movement and then everyone just started speaking and it led to the Fairmont case. And then that also just like everything is starting to come up. 
you just see so many parallels that like there's more truthful work out there speaking about women. And at the same time, there is that. And then now people are creating more, I want to say like honest art towards the truth of how women are because of that movement. So, Mm -hmm. so they really affect each other all the time. There's a show right now, and regardless of the fact that I wasn't, I didn't like the fact that they didn't even talk to the Fairmont victim, but there's a show that's basically based on that. And I think that it wouldn't have been there without all of that. And it's not even niche. It's like a show that like a lot of people are watching and, and Ramadan shows a lot of attention goes to them. So people are talking about rape. People are talking about consent in a way very 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 early stages but we are talking about it and and this feels great because it's about time and also while you know other societies have figured out or are still figuring out things for themselves Egypt is a very specific case and I think that every society has its own needs and identity and we can't bring the me too movement to fit into here it it, it can't mm. it's be dishonest towards our truth as Arab females. And so we have to create that for ourselves. And and I think that it's really starting to get there. And it's been building up and it's really generation after generation. And it's a big movement that is full of waves that affect each other, but definitely are in the middle of like a big Gen Z wave. Yeah. And I think, like you said, again, what we see really does have an impact on our ideas as a society and what we think is normal and what we think is accepted. And there was so um, I May Destroy You came out last year, which is the best show I've ever seen. Basically, it's brilliant. And they talk about consent in all these different ways. And one of the things that they brought to light was consent. But like, so for example, if someone doesn't fill you in on all the information So for example, they only want to sleep with you and they never want to see you again and they just want to have sex with you and they don't tell you all of that. Does that count as you giving them your consent? Because there's information here that would play into your decision that you didn't know. So it's not consent in the traditional sense, but it's still important to think about. And you know, that show, it really started so many conversations, even between me and my friends of things that we had just never thought about, or, you know, something that happened to someone that I know. And I'm like, oh my God, that's actually fucked up. And I didn't even realize it was fucked up because it's just been so normalized in society. And when you see it played out on screen, you're like, oh my God. And it kind of gives you a second way of thinking about it. So it is really important to address all of this stuff. I think it's really powerful. I think bringing up these conversations in forms of story is what can really impact change, actually. There was a big law that changed as a result of a film where a woman could can divorce herself if she goes to court. And it was inspired from a film. And I really think that stories can really humanize issues to people and people will understand so many of the sides of the story and it will definitely have them you know like what you said about that show like it made you reflect and think about these things that you haven't thought about before so yeah I I think I want to say that definitely 
art and media and films and cinema and TV are really game changers for society. You said that everyone was like loving Hiba and everyone's like obsessed with her. And then she went and she did what she did in the car. What was the sort of positive reaction from people after? Like, did you get messages from girls being like, oh my God, I'm so happy I saw Hiba do that because like I did that last night or <laughs> anything like that? Um, there was a lot of positive reaction towards, and, and this I credit Hiba Yosri, the, the, the writer's name is Hiba as well. And she was really a genius uh, because she was able to channel this character on paper where you can tell that she is so real. She doesn't know what she wants, but she knows what she doesn't want. She's confused. She's experimenting. And, and it was such an underrepresented character that putting that character to life really gave a lot of, from the feedback that I got, a lot of, um, I think it gave that same feeling that I got when I was reading Persepolis. Like, oh, there exists, so at least I can even question myself. Like, oh yeah, I did that. Why did I do that? Or why did I, why was I so impulsive? Or it just, I'm just so grateful for this role, really. We talked a little bit about how there's so much shame, even in terms of not only what we depict, but even getting the sort of courage to even try and depict it in the first place. I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey with all of that. And um, yeah, any tips that you can share with, with us, with me as well? Oh, my God. Uh, hmm. That's a very good question. <laughs> I, I grew up feeling very different from my family. And I think that they agree that I'm, we're very different. I mean, we're a family and, and we belong together, but it was definitely very troubling for me to feel that way, especially that I didn't really find something to relate to or connect to. And next to that, there was the, you know, just wanting to go into art was a problem for my family because it was so like 10 years ago or 15 years ago, it was associated with a lot of negative connotation. And it took so long for me to convince them and then eventually acquire my independence and have my own say on things. I love the use of acquire there. <laughs> well, well placed words. <laughs> trying to be diplomatic here <laughs> and I mean right now I'm I'm living in Cairo completely independent on very good terms with my family but definitely I'm I have this inner shame that's always with me and you know it's something that I'm working on every single day and and I tend to have this pretend character that comes up and and is so good at being you know autopilot and just kind of being that it just drains my soul, really. But I, I'm so well trained at, at dodging everything and just being a you know a pleasant citizen in society and in in the world. But the hardest thing and the most rewarding thing at the same time is is being myself. And if I want to say that what really helps me 
the first thing that comes to mind is that when, when I was in um, university, at that time, my family was completely against me studying theater or anything related to that. And there was a small play. This woman, she decided to create something called Bosi, which later became this huge thing where she gathered stories of women from a blog, an anonymous blog, and then we played them in a play. And it was the first time, I'm getting goosebumps, so weird, um, where I felt that I'm not weird, alone, uh, something's wrong with me, shameful, I need to go into the washing machine and out. Like It's just the first time that I felt that I'm a human and I belong. Mm -hmm. And I feel that that group and that support and that it was, you know, a combination of just getting to know other women that go through the same thing and also participating in something that feels true to me, doing what I love, which is creating art and then putting it out there. And it was the first time that anything like that happened that I know of. All of that empowered me so much to be myself. It comes down to support and relatability and connecting to people that are like you. And I yeah. think that this is definitely the most important thing that has impacted my journey. Of course, there's therapy and inner reflection and creating art, watching art, talking to people. But really, it's the moments of like your rock bottom of shame. It's when you connect to someone else and you feel like you're not alone. This is why I think I exist as an artist to channel something that is coming up for me so that when I share it with the world, someone else relates to it. Mm -hmm. What are the stories that you would want to see or that you think are really important in terms of us feeling less shame? The first thing that comes to my mind is definitely anything about sex and sexuality. There's so much in there. Definitely rape and marriage, for example. So no one has ever spoken about that, especially that because that is the the hot spot, you know, for us. The, this is like the one thing that like everyone talks about, but nobody talks about. So I think maybe starting there, femininity <laughs> for women. I think there are so many stories that are still untold and and you can imagine, but definitely mental health also of women and of men, of course, but, you know, there's so much that is labeled about women's hormones and women's uh, moods and all these things. And I think that no one has really yet wrote anything that feels non-judgmental and real and at the same time truthful to what it really is. Yeah, there were, there were some really interesting statistics that I came across actually when I was writing my book and it was mostly centered on Western media and, and all of that because there's so many problematic, so many problematic things there also. But it was talking about how, you know, women are so much more likely to be portrayed as like crazy or, you know, we're very rarely portrayed as funny, although I think that's probably different in Egyptian the Egyptian media, I feel like women are hilarious. But there's so many like negative things that we just keep seeing ourselves represented as again and again and again and again. And that sort of breeds like ingrained misogyny as well. Like there was this, um, I think Anne Hathaway who spoke about how she had filmed with a female director and she realized that she had trusted her less 
than if she had been a man. And that was because she had ingrained misogyny that she didn't even realize until later. So it really does have an impact on how we even think of ourselves. Wow, that is so... I I, I want to change my answer and I want to say, but (laughs) oh my God, that's so... Wow. Isn't that fascinating? I couldn't believe it when I read that. I was just like, wow, like we're really... We're being taught to hate ourselves from when we're born. We don't even know it. We don't even know it. And then men are being taught to think that they need to be really macho and all of this stuff. So no wonder then that we see that being played out. Like, I also feel like it's really important to just have loads of different versions of what men can be like. Yeah, that's also so connected and so important to be discussed all the time because so many men are just caught up in the middle. There's no representation of what mm-hmm. men could be other than the macho. I mean, in this case, this is when I'm I'm like saying no, a lot of a lot of men are are, are victims and um and and there there needs to be proper attention and care. But before that, there needs to be justice. I think definitely I want to say that like justice first, equal opportunity first, yeah. and then let's care for everyone and let's see because there's so much because rape exists with men definitely and 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 harassment and like just there's so much unfairness to it. Yeah, it's not an excuse by any means, but I think you know when people are like, "Oh, feminism," like I'm like, no, feminism is good for men too, because that means that you can be whoever you are and you don't need to be this like toxic macho version. It's good for everyone. Let's just start with that. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. It's been so lovely. Yeah, same. Thank you for opening these conversations. I'm feeling energized, you know. Thank you so much. Bye. I really enjoyed chatting with Sara, and it was so interesting to hear her take on representation in the media in Egypt. What I found particularly interesting was how she spoke about how there's so much shown of what isn't allowed, but not all that many examples of what is allowed, of the many different ways that there are of existing in the world. Some of that, as we touched on in the episode, is because of this fear of showing our dirty laundry or of being honest about the things which impact us. Next week, I get further into this idea of dirty laundry with Lana Al-Mulla, one of my oldest friends, who is super inspiring and a brilliant holistic healer who works through ancient wisdom, indigenous practices and science. We speak about generational shame, the impact that keeping in so-called dirty laundry can have on our lives and our health and more. Here's a snippet from next week's conversation. It's like, oh my gosh, just don't even go there. Because the way that we've been taught to deal with things is to just shove them all down and not deal with them. And we think that's dealing with it. It's like, no, <laughs> that's not quite how it happens. I'm Alia Moro, and you've been listening to Talk of Shame, a Wemina production supported by our sponsor, BetterHelp. Sound designed by the talented Nicholas Alexander. Special thanks to Amina producers Amira Ahmed, Elisa Friha, and Rhythma Ekinayaki. Thanks to everyone who submitted voice notes for this week's episode. Follow me at Alia Moro and at Wemina to submit your thoughts for future episodes. We'll be dropping questions every Saturday. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, download, and review. It really does help get the word out there. Talk to you next week.